All right, guys, let's go ahead and sit down so we can start. I was just telling, just telling Pastor Ron, I hate interrupting people when they're greeting each other because everyone's having so much fun. But we need to continue. So, okay, guys, so if everyone can please take their seats, we can go ahead and start. And before we start, I just want to pray, and then we can dive into the Word of God, okay? So, Lord, I thank you for this time that we can be here. Lord, I pray that you um, help us grow in our walk with you. This, I pray this be a time of edification and encouragement. I pray, Lord, that we will, through the time we're gathering here, Lord, that we will conform even more to your image, and may it edify us and encourage us to go out and share your, your gospel, your truth with those around us. Please bless this time, Lord, and I thank you for what you have in store for us. In Jesus' name, amen. So guys, what we're going to do today, we're going to be speaking um, Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 1 until 9, and the title of the sermon is God's Bond Slave. And kind of give you guys an introduction before we get in there. Uh, Jeremiah was a prophet. He was commissioned by God, by God to call Judah to repentance for their sins and to be a prophet to the nation. So in the book of Jeremiah, you see him talking to the people of Israel, the kingdom of Judah at the time, but then there's also a section that he talks to the, the other nations around. So you see how that came, that God's calling on his life is shown in the book that he wrote. Uh, his name in Hebrew means God, well, Yah, which is God, will rise, or Yah, God, will loosen. Uh, he was the son of Chilkiah, which he was a priest, who was a priest in the temple. So Jeremiah is of priestly uh, descent. Our text today recounts Jeremiah's call and commission by God for the assignment he wants Jeremiah to fulfill. And in, in the description of Jeremiah's call and commission, we are going to learn what it means to be a bond slave of God. Okay? So if you can open your Bibles to Jeremiah 1, we're going to read, we're just going to go verse by verse, see what we can learn from it. And right now I'm just going to give you guys kind of a background about what we're, what we're talking about. Jeremiah 1, the words of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were Anatoth, Anatoth in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It also came, verse 3, it also came in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the exile of Jerusalem in the fifth month. So we see here kind of a context of the calling of Jeremiah and like the culture and the surround, what, the, the political culture of what was happening at the time. King Josiah was one of the greatest kings Israel's ever had. I would even say as, he's on, almost as good as King David was. So he began his ministry during that time, but then he also, he served as a prophet in the days of King Jehoiachaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, try saying that fast, and Zedekiah, who were all evil kings. And they were all the sons of the great king that he started his ministry uh, with, with. But then also, and this is probably the hardest thing Jeremiah had to witness, he had to witness the exile and the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. Suffering in ways that is unimaginable. I'm not going to get into it today. It's not part of the sermon, but just suffice it to say, he suffered a lot because of what he saw. What, imagine your entire home being completely destroyed, everyone killed, a lot, the majority, well, a lot of them being exiled and being a witness to all of that. 
after you told them time and time again, repent and turn to God, repent of your sin, so that this will not come upon you, and they would not listen. He saw it happen. So that's, that's the context of, of Jeremiah, what was going on. Now, before we go continue with in the text, I want, to, I want to kind of set the scene for something, to talk about something before we go in there. What does it mean to be God's slave? The Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines a slave as a person held in forced servitude. In other words, you don't have a choice. You're put into that lifestyle, and you're forced to be in that situation. I know here in the United States, with our history with slavery, we, we can understand that, maybe more than other, other countries in the world. But that, that's what a slave is. The Bible, however, teaches about being a bond slave of God. And what I want us to look at is how does the Bible define what a bond slave of God is? The Greek word doulos, which is translated as a bond servant in, the, in English, means someone who belongs to another, a bond slave, without any ownership rights of their own. Now, this is really cool. Ironically, doulos, which is bond slave, is used with the highest dignity in the New Testament, namely, of believers who willingly live under Christ's authority as his devoted followers. This word refers to someone who gives himself up wholly to another's will. Okay? So I want, I want you guys to remember that because that's going to that's gonna follow us throughout the entire sermon. Several people in the Bible were referred to as being bond slaves of God. We see that in Mos- with Moses, Joshua 1, 1 Chronicles 6, 49, 2 Chronicles 24, 9, Daniel 9, 11, Paul, Titus 1, chapter 1, and in other places as well, and then James, uh, the Lord's half-brother, and who wrote the book of James, James 1, verse 1. So we see here, based on the, the, the common word, the, the definition of slave, and the biblical definition, that there's a contrast, there's a difference right there. And what we see is that that contrast right there is that being a bond slave of God is a choice a Christian makes in which they willingly surrender, surrender their rights to Christ and fully give themselves up to his will. So we see that a slave in the common sense is you were forced into that, you don't have a choice, but as a bond slave of Christ, a bond slave of God, that's something you willingly do. We willingly surrender ourselves to Christ, okay? Oswald, Oswald Chambers said something that it really, I thought really spoke to this. He said, the true mark of the saint is that he can waive his own rights and obey the Lord Jesus. So what we see here is a life of complete surrender, of complete obedience to Christ. And that means, and we're going to see that later on, it means that no matter what he asks us to do, we obey. And whatever happens to us, whatever he brings our way, we don't even ask why it's happening. We just obey. Now, this is something, this is not easy, I know. And I'm, I'm by no stretch of the imagination am I there yet. This is something that I think we're all growing into. It's like Pastor Ron likes to talk about. It's not about perfection, but direction. But if we truly surrender ourselves to Christ, wholly submit, we submit ourselves fully to him, then even if we fail, we keep going, we keep trying, and we keep surrendering. It's a, it's a process every single day. So this, is, this goes against what we know in the world nowadays, because especially here in the United States, and, and also in the Western world, that our individuality is so important. We have our own dreams, we have our own purposes, we have our own desires that we want to accomplish. So this idea of surrendering all that to someone else, that that other person gets to decide who we become, what we do, where we go, what we say, that's something that's foreign to our Western 
thinking, to our Western mind. So the question I want to ask is, why would we do that? Why would a Christian fully choose to surrender the, the right to their own life, relinquish complete control to it, to Christ? And the reason the Christian does that, and the true Christian, is because of who they're surrendering their rights to. That is the reason we would surrender our rights to. It's because we're surrendering it to Jesus. Jesus paid the penalty for our, sin, for, for our sin and redeemed us from our slavery to it. Jesus gave his life for us. We see that in John 10, 11. We see that in Galatians 2, 21, 2, 20. Jesus gave his own life for us. We were all born with a sinful nature under the wrath of God. And because we, we missed the mark, we, ought, we cannot keep his holy standards, we sin. And because of sin, we are supposed to die. And that's what we saw in the Old Testament with the sacrifices. The Lord, would, the, the, uh, the Lord instituted with Israel the sacrificial system in which they would bring a lamb, a goat, a, a bull. The, blood would the bull would die instead of the sinner. And that blood would cover the sin of the person offering that sacrifice. But as the book of Hebrews talks about, we always had to, we always had to have a sacrifice being made, which showed that the, the blood of bulls and goats cannot fully atone for sin, cannot fully take care of that, that problem. So that's when Jesus comes in. Jesus, who was perfect, our master, our Lord, he came out of love for us, died instead of us. And by doing that, became a propitiation for our sins, which is a, a, a sacrifice that fully satisfies the wrath of God. Once and for all. And that's it. And he did that because he loved us. So instead of us dying for our sins, which we were supposed to, we were supposed to be experiencing that, not him, because he was blameless. He was righteous. He didn't do anything evil. But because he loved us, because he know we couldn't do anything of ourselves to reach out to God because of our depraved nature. He died for us, and by doing that, by believing in him, we have eternal life. And instead of spending an eternity in hell like we're all destined to, we were destined to if it was not for Christ, we're going to be in heaven with Christ. So, when you think about that, someone who loved you so much that was willing to suffer in an imaginable... Pastor Ron was talking about a couple of weeks ago about how, what Jesus was experiencing as he was, not after he was um, whipped by a Roman whip and carrying that heavy cross and what he had to go through, but he still did that because he loved us, because he was obedient to God. How would we not, how would we not be at peace to surrender our lives to someone like that? Like, would you not trust someone who did something like that for you? Because no one will ever do anything like that for you. No one ever, ever, ever could ever do anything that comes even close to what Jesus did on the cross for us. No one will ever love you that way. And because he loves us that way, he, he, and it's a love that is foreign to our minds that we can't understand, why are we afraid to trust him? Why are we afraid to relinquish and surrender our lives to him? We can trust him to do that. Because of what he did. Because of his love towards us. So there's no need to be afraid. We'll talk about that later as well. So, okay. So Jesus says, you know, we, we, we see the concept of, of doulos, of a bond slave in the word of God. But wait a minute. You would ask, didn't Jesus say he no longer calls us slaves? Right? Let's go to John 15, 15. The context of this is Jesus is right after the Judas left. They're in the last the Passover uh, Seder, the Passover meal. 
right before Jesus is being taken by, by the, the Jewish guard. So he's having a final time of discipleship of, of pouring into his disciples. John 15, 5. It reads the following. No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So we do see here that Jesus has told, told his disciples that he will no longer call them it's translated servants, but the actual word is doulos, what we, in, what we see in other places in the New Testament. Uh, he will no longer call them servants, but friends. However, the context of that verse talks about Jesus revealing the things of God to his disciples. A slave, in the common sense, you don't, if, if you knew the culture of Rome that time, or even in some parts of the world nowadays, you don't have that kind of relationship that a master shares things with their slave. The master tells you to do something, and you do it. No questions asked. You don't even have to know why he's asking you to do that. He just, he demands that you obey. There's no, there's no, there's no kind of interaction like that as, as with a friend. So the slave rarely knows the purpose behind his or master's command, but they just obey. But friends, on the other hand, as a result of the intimacy and communication they have with each other, they share things with each other. So John MacArthur wrote, as just as Abraham was called the friend of God because he enjoyed ex extraordinary access to the mind of God through God's revelation to him, which he believed, so also those who follow Christ are privileged with extraordinary revelation through the Messiah and Son of God, and believing become friends of God. So a bond slave of God serves, him, serves his or her master, him as his or her master, but also enjoy the privilege of being God's friend due to their faith in the, thing God sh the things God shares and reveals through Christ. So that's a beautiful privilege we have. So yes, the, Jesus is our master. God is our master. We obey him. We surrender to him completely, but we're also his friend. It's a beautiful thing. We don't see that, we don't see that in any other relationship in the world. Because yes, God commands us to obey him, yes, but... As a friend, he shares things with us, reveals things to us. We can talk to him. Not only, not only does he give the reason why he allows, but he does reveal things to us. I think that's a beautiful privilege we have. As, as The true Christian has a, has a beautiful privilege in that. So we defined what it is to be a, a, God, a, a bond slave of God, but now we're going to see characteristics. What, is it, what does it look like? In practical life, what does it mean to be a, what does it look like to be a bond slave? The first point I want us to look at is God's bond slaves are intimately known by him. And I want us to go back to Jeremiah 1. Jeremiah 1, verses 5 and 6, uh, 4 and 5, I'm sorry. 4 and, first part of 5. Now the word of the Lord came to me, to Jeremiah, saying, Before I formed you, in the womb, I knew you. Okay? So God tells Jeremiah that he knew him even before he was formed by God in his mother's womb. So God already had, knew about Jeremiah, knew of who he was, the purpose and plan he had for him, even before he formed him in his mother's womb. Okay? And the word knew in the Hebrew means knowing someone in an intimate way. It's yada. It's the same word that you see in Genesis 2.24 that talks about a man should leave his mother and father and Cleave, cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And also in Genesis 4, when it talks about how Abraham, uh, Adam knew 
uh, Eve and Cain was born. So it's a knowing of a very intimate way, a very, a very, it's not superficial. He knows everything. It's a very special knowing. It's just not shallow. Okay? And I want us to go to Psalm 139, verses 1 and so forth. This is a very, very, very well-known scripture. If you guys see me rushing a little bit, I only have it till 12.15. I have six pages, so I may be, I may be running through this. <laughs> so Psalm 139, verses 1 and so forth. Oh, Lord, you have searched me and known me. This is King David writing. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. Verse 2. Uh, you understand my thoughts from afar. You scrutinize my path and my lying down and are intimately acquainted with all my ways. Even before there's a word on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it all. Look at the way God knows us, how intimately he knows us. Even before there's a word on our tongue, he already knows about it. He's intimately acquainted with all of our ways. He knows each of us individually in the most intimate way. What a beautiful, beautiful truth right there. What an encouragement to us when we think no one cares, right? When we think no one wants anything to do with us when we're rejected? No. We have one that knows us more than we even know ourselves. That is a wonderful truth, a very good encouragement. And he knows us more than we know ourselves. It's crazy to think about, but that's true. Because he created us, he knows us. I think that's a great, great encouragement for all of us. So, let's go back to Jeremiah 1. We're going to be flip-flopping a lot, so make sure you keep your finger on Jeremiah 1. So, we see that, we saw what, what, is a, what it means to be God's bond slave, and we saw that God's bond sla- God intimately knows his bond slaves. Second point is, God's bond slaves receive their assignments from him. We see that in Jeremiah 5b, that's the second part of, of that verse, and it says, and before you were born, I consecrated you, I have appointed you, as a, pro- I, I have appointed you a prophet to the nation. So God is telling Jeremiah, he set him apart, for a specific assignment, namely to be a prophet to the nations and to call the kingdom of Judah to repent of their sin, okay? Now, God has also given us an assignment or assignments as Christians. If we go to Matthew 28, 19, 20, that these are very, very well-known verses as well regarding what we're supposed to be doing as Christians. Matthew 28, Verses 19 and 20. It reads there, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the, and, the, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I command you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God has commanded us basically what he's telling here. He was telling his disciples that is something we're called to do as well as Christians, is to make disciples. We obey this by sharing the gospel with non-believers and by teaching them the, 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 the things of Christ when they accept Jesus and, in, as, and as we disciple them, we, we teach them the things of Christ. That's, that's how we make disciples. Because a disciple, the purpose of the disciple is to, is to be like the master, like the teacher. That, so that is our job. That is an assignment all of us have received. That is not only the job of the evangelist, of the pastor, the, the apostle, the pro- no. All of us are supposed to be doing this. This is what we're, we are called to do. Okay? And the second thing is, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20, it shows something else that we're supposed to be doing as well. 
Paul is writing the second letter to the church in Corinth. He says, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So not only do we make disciples, sharing the gospel, teaching them the things of Christ, we serve as God's ambassadors to a dying world. And I think if we had an understanding of what it means to be under God's wrath, what it means that if you do not know Christ, you are going to hell, separated eternally from God, experiencing his wrath for eternity without stop, without ceasing, I feel, I believe that we would have been much, we would have much more of an urgency to appeal to the world regarding the gospel, saying, guys, let me share with you this. This is the greatest news that will literally save your life. This is something that we need to be more urgent about. That's what we're called to do, to appeal, to, to, to appeal to others and say, guys, we'll be reconciled to God. Now remember, it's not our job to save anyone. We can't do we, our job is to be heralds, to proclaim the message, and we let God do the one. He's the one that draws people to him. We can't draw anyone to God. Our job is to speak, to open our mouth, and to speak, to appeal to a dying world. If you do not believe in Jesus, you will go to hell and suffer God's wrath for eternity. We have to, be, we have, to have a, a sense of urgency for that. And you know also, with all that, all of us have jobs. All of us are, in, maybe some of us are in school. Some of us have certain, we have a family life, a home life. Those places God has put us in are assignments that he's given us. I myself work for a corporate office in Buckhead. I'm a lean coordinator for a, a construction, construction company. That's the assignment I have from God right now. So my job in that assignment right there is to ask God daily, give me opportunities, open doors like Paul said in Colossians 4, to open, the, open doors to share the gospel, to pray with people, and to do it faithfully every single day. All of us have that, have, are in that same place. You don't have to be called to church ministry to only do that because we're all called into ministry, marketplace ministry, because I'm sure all of us have jobs. That is what we're supposed to be doing. That is our assignment from God. And we don't move from that assignment until he gives us other orders. And with me, something cool personally with me is that I, uh, I only recently, well, actually, Friday became officially responsible for all our West markets on California, Oregon, Washington State. In the, in the past, I would think, man, more job, more responsibilities, that's more work, you know. But now when I think about it, it's another mission field has opened up because I'm able to email people like and say, hey, I'm praying for you, you know. Or, hey, let me share this with you, you know. So it's another mission field that's opened up. So imagine if we saw the assignments we have in life as mission, mission fields that God has put us in. Or what about our families? You know, specifically for me, whoever doesn't know I'm from Israel, I'm from a Jewish background. And I have family members that are very upset with me, that don't want to talk with me because of my faith in Christ. That there's a, there's a tension and division there, but we knew that was going to happen. I mean, Christ talked about it. But that's a mission field right there. And even if we're afraid, even if it feels uncomfortable, we are supposed to open our mouths. Because you, you never know when their time will come and you don't want to be in a place that you said you had so many opportunities to share with them, but we didn't do it because we were afraid. You take, take, take the opportunity now. Take advantage of the opportunities you have now to share Christ with your family and ask God how to do it, to open doors to do that. But then also we also have local, we have assignments here in the body, body of Christ. If it's 
here in the local body of Jesus, as Marietta Vineyard Church, but then also as, as, as a whole. Then all of us have a job to do. And that's what I like what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 14, that he describes the body of Christ as, as a literal body. I'm a hand, I'm, someone's an eye, another one's a foot, another one's a hand. We're all part of the same body. So if I cut off my hand, I can't function well without my hand, you know, or my eye, God forbid. You know, so the same, all of us are important. All of us have a, have a part to play in the, in the advancement and building of the kingdom of God on earth. We all have assignments. We all should be faithful to fulfill those things because those edify the church. That's the purpose of, of those assignments, to edify the body of Christ. Okay, so let's go back to Jeremiah. Verses 6 and 7. The next point I want us to look at is God demands complete obedience from his bond slaves. So we, God knows his bond slaves intimately. He, um, we received our bond slaves received their assignments from God. And now the third point, he demands complete obedience from his bond slaves. Verse 6 and 7. Then, this is Jeremiah speaking. Then I said, alas, Lord God. Behold, I do not know how to speak because I'm a youth. But the Lord said to me, do not say I am a youth because everywhere I send you, you shall go and all that I command you, you shall speak. So basically, Jeremiah is telling, telling God, you gave, me, you, gave me, you gave me this assignment, but I don't know how to speak. But God told him that regardless of that, you still have to obey. You would still have to obey regardless if, if of any apparent insecurity or lack of ability to obey. He wants you still to obey. According to John MacArthur, Jeremiah's uh, response points out to his inability and inexperience. He never did anything like that before. And so I want us to keep your, your hand in Jeremiah. I want us to go to John 14, verse 15. John 14, 15. John 14, 15, it reads the following. If you love me, Jesus is talking to his disciples. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Obedience to Jesus is an expression of our love for our master and Lord. I love, I, you, claim to, you claim to love Jesus, that's great. Show me by how you obey him. Show me by the fruit of obedience in your life. Again, that does not mean that we will obey all the time because we live in a fallen world. We, live, we have sinful flesh. We sin. We fall short. But if we get up, we ask forgiveness, repent of our sins, turn to Christ and keep going, then we can live this out. And say, next time, Lord, I want to obey. Help me to obey. The true Christian who loves Christ shows that by the fruit of obedience in their life. If you claim to be a Christian and you choose not to obey Christ, or that become... Oh, let me rephrase that. If you, are, if you claim to be a Christian, but your life shows a consistent uh, desire or lack of obeying Christ, I would question if you truly are a Christian to begin with. Because a true Christian will obey Christ. Despite the times they fall. There's a difference. Okay? So, obeying Christ means that we go where Jesus leads us and speak what he wants us to. So if we go back for us specifically, our jobs... Uh, those of us who are in school, our family members. Jesus, the Holy Spirit is telling us, go and share this with them. Our job is to, sit, to share it. 
Our job is to go and share it. Some of us, God may even call to go to a different country to be missionaries. Countries that are very close to the gospel, that are very opposed to the gospel, that you could actually lose your life for going. Will you go out of love for Christ, even if it means your own life? Will you obey him to that extent? And that's why we have, this is something that you do in the will. That's a choice that you make. It's not based on feeling. Because if it was based on feeling, I, I, I doubt any of us would be really, we would be failing miserably in obeying. And you can ensure that God will help those that, 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 can, can, that show that they, will, they want to obey, even if it's hard. He, that's, the Holy Spirit comes in and helps us to, to obey, to live that life out. So I encourage you guys, God calls you to do something, do it. Calls you to go somewhere, go. Tells you to tell, say something, say it. But obey, if you claim to follow Christ. Oswald Chambers said, if I obey Jesus Christ in the seemingly random circumstances of life, they become pinholes through which I see the face of God. Something that I like what Oswald Chambers talks about, it's very easy for us to live in the high moments, like in the, the moments of inspiration. Oh, I had a word from God. I feel so good right now. The hard thing is, living in the rut of every day, doing the same thing every single day, waking up Monday morning, not wanting to go into work, or in our case, those who work from home, not wanting to go to your office or something. But, you know, it's in those moments that we have to obey, and it's those moments when it gets boring, when it gets common, that we have to make, we, we make that choice to follow and obey Christ in those moments, even when we don't feel like it. So the next point I want us to look at, let's go back to Jeremiah, is uh, Jeremiah verse 8. God never forsakes his bond slaves. Do not be afraid of them, for I'm, I'm with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. So God is basically calling Jeremiah to confront pagan nations, but then also his own people. That if you understand the context of the idolatry and the evil that was prevalent in Judah at that time, it was horrific. Like, I don't have time to go into the, the actual gross immorality that was going on there, but it was, it was horrendous. And here's God is telling Jeremiah, I want you to go and speak to them, and I want you to confront them and tell them all that I want you to tell them. Don't hold anything back. So it's very easy to be afraid at that moment, especially if, our, if we know our audience is going to be hostile, Right? But here the promise Jeremiah, God um, is basically telling Jeremiah is not to be afraid because he will deliver him. He will be with him. Deuteronomy 31.6. I want us to turn there. Deuteronomy 31.6. It reads the following, and this is Moses telling the generation of the Israelites, the, the children of those that left Egypt, they're about to enter the land of Canaan, the land of Israel, he's reviewing to them, he's, he's basically everything that would, their parents were, were told they didn't listen to, he's telling the kids now, those that God promised would enter the, the land of Canaan, he's telling them, be strong and courageous, do not be afraid or tremble at them, for the Lord your God is the one who goes with you, he will not fail you or forsake you. Imagine the people of Israel right now before entering the land of Canaan, you have these 
Canaanite nations that are, that are tall, they're strong, they have fortified cities. Their parents didn't want to even go in there because they were so scared. But Moses is telling now their children, no, do not be afraid of them. What can man do to me if God is for me? Right? So he's telling them, do not be afraid. I will never leave you nor forsake you. That is the same thing for us, no matter where God calls us, no matter what he wants us to do, no matter what he wants us to say. God is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. We can be encouraged for that, about that. We do not have to be afraid. God himself, the creator of heaven and earth, is with us. He dwells in us in the form of the Holy Spirit. He goes with us wherever we go. We do not have to be afraid. So when God calls you guys to do something, calls me to do, all of us, when he wants you to do something, obey, because he will be there with you as you obey that. Even if it's, even if it's dangerous, he is there. And again, that's hard. That's not easy to say. It's easy now to say this while we're here sitting in our comfortable air-conditioned sanctuary, you know. But imagine with, um, in Israel, for example, we had, had times that ultra-Orthodox Jews that hate anything that has to do with Jesus, they would sit outside, stand outside the congregation, spit at all the people that come out. Or I had a time with Sarah when we were in Israel. Sarah's my wife, doesn't know. Um, we were in Israel, and I was going to take her to a, to a, a gathering of worship, le of worship leaders in Israel. They present their new song. Right outside, there was a group of ultra-Orthodox Jews scratching, kicking people as they were coming, trying to beat them up. As they're, and screaming, they're going to have to call the police to get them all out. You know? It was that bad. Which in hindsight now, I'm happy personally I didn't take my wife because she was pregnant with Samuel at that time. I would have paid, obviously. I wouldn't want to, for her to be in that situation when she was pregnant. But that's, that's the reality of where I come from. But we're still called to obey. Even though it may cost us everything. And the reason is because he's worth it. He's worth everything. He's worth much, much more. Paul said that the, the present sufferings are not even worth to be compared with the, present, with the future glory that awaits us. It's nothing in comparison to what awaits. So if we keep our, our eyes focused on Jesus, expect, with the hope of what we, we're going to have in the future with him, we can walk this life regardless of how hard it's getting. It's going to get much worse. I mean, we see it in the news. The world is, is, is falling apart, you know, but we have the hope in Christ, the living hope. The final thing, verse 9, and let's go back to Jeremiah 1. God equips his bond slaves. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and touched my mouth, and the Lord said to me, Behold, I put my words in your mouth. The Lord touched Jeremiah's mouth so as to signify that he will equip him to speak on his behalf. This verse refers back to verse 6, which Jer when Jeremiah, where Jeremiah was telling the Lord he doesn't know how to speak. So now the Lord is saying, I touched your mouth. I'm equipping you to go and do what I've called you to do. So God equips us for the assignments he has given us. And the question is, how does he equip us? He does so through, through the Holy Spirit who does a couple of things. And we're not going to read all of that. The, the biblical references. He empowers us. We see that in Acts 1.8. He discloses to us the things of God, John 16, 13 until 15. He creates in us the mind of Christ, 1 Corinthians 2.16. Speaks through us when we witness for Christ. We see that in Mark 13.11. 
And finally, he gives us gifts to use for the edification of the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 until 11. All of us have the ability to obey Christ. We have been empowered. He's creating in us the mind of Christ. He dwells within us. He speaks through us when we witness. Ask the Lord, please, open, Holy Spirit, guide my mouth as I share. Guide my mouth as I obey. But then also he's given us gifts to serve the local body, to edify the local body, to grow, the, to, to grow his church. Again, it's not only Pastor Ron, Pastor Denise's job to do that. It's all of us. We're supposed to do that. We're having an outreach next week. I highly recommend join for us to go out there. We go, we're going to go around. We're going to be knocking on doors, asking, t- telling people about the church that we, that we, that we gather here, but then also ask, for, ask them opportunities, ask them if we can pray for them. Join. I highly recommend. It was a blessing the first time we did it. But that's what we're called to do. We're called to go out and make disciples. We have an opportunity to do that next, Saturday, next Sunday. And we as Christians have no excuse not to obey Christ, not to obey Christ in the things he commands us because he's given us everything we need to glorify and serve him. We have everything we need. We are not lacking. We are made complete in Christ, Colossians 2 talks about. We're not lacking. We have everything we need. We, we cannot use an excuse that we don't know. We have, you know, all of us, all of us, be accepted Christ for a reason. We understand what Jesus did for us. Share that with someone else. It doesn't have to be eloquent. It doesn't have to be smart. It doesn't have to be with these nice words. No, that doesn't matter. Share what Christ did in your life. That you were a sinner, that by, but you repented of your sins, you turned to Christ, you believed in the gospel, and you were saved. Share that with people. They, they, you, we can all do that. We all understand. And if we don't, that's an opportunity for us to say, hey, I don't know, but let me study about, let me study, learn about, and then I'll get back to you. I, I guarantee you people will respect you instead of saying something and you have no idea what you're saying. But serve Christ. Obey him and what he's asked you to do. And don't use it as an excuse that you have an inability to do that because that's a lie. That's not what the Bible teaches. So to conclude, six minutes early, okay. God's, God's bond slaves willingly surrender their own rights to Christ out of love for him. They are intimately known by God, and they receive their assignments from him. God demands complete obedience from them and equips them for the assignments he gives. God will never forsake them. Now, the question I want to leave you guys all with is, will you surrender your life as a bond slave to God? I'm going to ask Pastor Ron to go up and um, as he's going up and play a little bit the guitar, I wanted to ask us all to stand up. And if you feel comfortable, if you can just extend your hands. And what I want us to do by doing that is basically us signifying to choose to be a bond slave of God. Which means that we will obey him completely and surrender our lives fully to him. We're going to pray together. After that, we'll have altar time, and then we'll pass it on to Pastor Ron. But what I want us to do is just to make a commitment that we as a church, we choose to obey Christ no matter what as his bond slaves, because he is worth it. Jesus died on the cross to atone for our sins. He gave up himself for us. God sent his only son to die for us. 
No one will ever do anything like that for you, ever. He is worth that and much more. So Lord, I I see myself and my brothers and sisters right here, Lord, where with our hands extended, Lord, we just want to say, first of all, that we love you. And we thank you, Jesus, that you died on the cross for us, that you endured suffering in a way that we can't even begin to imagine for us. We were the ones that were supposed to suffer, not you, but you did that instead of us. You redeemed us from our slavery to sin. So, Lord, as an expression of our love to you, we want to be your bond slaves. We commit to be your bond slaves, to obey you in the places you've set us in, to say what you want us to say, to go to the places you want us to go, to do the things you want us to do. And we also commit not to use as an excuse our inability to do that because we know you've equipped us to obey you in the assignments you've put us in. So, Lord, we stand right here before you, Lord, as as a local body, Marietta Vineyard Church, and we say we want to be your bond slaves because we love you. We want to show that we love you by our obedience. So we commit our lives to you. We trust you because you're worthy of that. And we choose to obey you regardless of where you take us, regardless of what you do with us. So we ask, Lord, have your way with us. And even if we should never know why, we still trust you because we love you. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name.